This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. This week, we have got quite an interesting new guest for you. Malcolm Robinson is here. He has never been on Dreamland before. And what makes him so interesting, he's going to be talking about a UFO hotspot that I bet you have never really heard of unless you are one of our UK listeners, and you will have certainly heard of it in that case. It's Scotland. Malcolm has been doing his work of UFO research in Scotland for many, many years. Malcolm, welcome to Dreamland. And how long have you been doing this? It's a pleasure to be on your show. Um, I've been working in ufology for nigh on 40-odd years, Whitley. So it's a, it's a wonderful subject to be involved with. Uh, it's very, very good, yeah. What in the world got you started in this lunatic asylum of ours? <laughs> well, I've always been interested in strange phenomena. Ever since I was a small boy growing up in Scotland, I always had this fascination for all things weird and wonderful. But I'll be honest with you, Whitley, I honestly believed at that time there were no validity to ghosts, no validity to the paranormal, and certainly no validity to UFOs. But it's like anything else in life, once you get involved in the subject, once you start talking to people and going out there and doing the research, there's clearly no smoke without fire. I soon found out as I you know, got involved that, hey, there's something really real here. Now, obviously, you and I know, Whitley, that the vast majority of UFO reports have natural, identifiable solutions. We're only talking about a small 5%. 3% of the 5 could be our own black budget technology. We don't truly know what America's got in the skies right now. And that's given rise to many false UFO reports on ground-based observers. The 2% that's left, one could be a rare atmospheric phenomena, something akin to ball lightning, maybe. The 1%, the flying ointment, for me and many of my colleagues in Scotland and the United Kingdom, is that we're dealing with something real, something truly bizarre, something that's always been with us through time immemorial. We've seen it in Renaissance paintings. We've seen it in cave art. There's clearly, clearly something there. So I went from being a total skeptic to now admitting and acknowledging that we're dealing with something real. Absolutely. Now, what, what got you started, though? Because if you were not interested and then suddenly you became interested, was there an event or a person or a, a meeting? So what, what started you off? Well, there's a number of strange paranormal events that uh, happened to me during the course of my life. And I remember as a young boy, I was at this school playground in Scotland, and it was a lovely summer's day. I was probably only I'd be about 10 years of age. And I looked up into the sky, and here was this clear, it was like an egg-shaped object hovering about three, 400 feet above us. And even as a young boy, I knew straight away <laughs> that this wasn't a conventional aircraft or a conventional helicopter of any way, shape or form. And after a period of minutes or so, it just took off and was gone. So that was one of the incidents. I found a nu numerous paranormal incidents as well, because obviously we research ghost poltergeists. I've been touched. Uh, my hair's been pulled. I've been kicked by nothing as well. And that's took me off the proverbial sceptical fence when it came to, to ghosts. But with UFOs, it probably was 1979, uh, because I was still unsure what was going on. And a case presented to me, which totally took me off that fence. Some of your viewers may, may be aware of it. For those who are not, I'd like to just quickly talk about it. It's called the Deckment Woods UFO Incident. And it occurred in central Scotland way back in 1979. The story goes that forestry foreman Robert Taylor, he was employed by the Livingston Development Corporation to ensure that no cattle or sheep strayed into the woods. Very mundane job. 
he was actually a war hero, Whitley. He was in the tank regiment that liberated Bergen-Belsen during the Second World War. After the war, he went, he did some various jobs. So now he's a forestry foreman, 1979. He had no interest in UFOs, as most people have. He knew about them, but he, did, he wasn't really interested in them. All that changed. All that changed on the morning of November the 9th, 1979. He was driving into a forest uh, in his pickup truck and accompanying him on that journey was his Irish red setter dog, Lara. They jumped, they got out of the truck, they started walking down this forestry path and the path leads out into a clearing, about 40, 50 feet clearing. And lo and behold, he could not believe him. There's this large round object, this massive big object floating about 30, 40 feet above the, the surface of the grass. It had a flange going around its perimeter. It had cross-like projections sticking up from the flange. And he's standing there. He couldn't believe what he's seen. And his dog was bark, bark, barking furiously beside him. And then the object seemed to disappear. And you could see the young trees in the background, then it would solidify again. And then what happened next, Whitley, was these two spherical spheres dropped down from beneath the, this object, impacted on the grass and started rolling across the grass towards him, pulling him very violently towards this object. And he lost, lost consciousness at that point. Okay, well, we will find out, Free Dreamlanders, in just a minute, what happened when he regained consciousness. We'll be right back. Did we misunderstand the teaching of Jesus? Perhaps a long time ago, perhaps almost as soon as he rose from the dead, we mistook him for something that he may not have been. But we do know one thing. He was one of us. His life and his resurrection reveal the power of the good in all of us. And his teaching shows anybody, whether they have religious beliefs or not, how to find that goodness and live it. Get Jesus a New Vision. It's available as an audiobook. It is available as a paperback and as a Kindle. Get it today. UnknownCountry.com subscribers have access to a vast treasury of information. Listen to what Dr. Robert Schock said. He's an expert on the past, and for that reason, he also knows a great deal about the future. We are re-entering, as you say, a debris field, and when you have a debris field like this, it enters the solar system, it energizes the solar system as you have things um, going into the sun, even clouds of dust particles, for instance, it will energize the sun, it will destabilize the sun. This is what we saw at the end of the last ice age in approximate terms about 13,000 years ago. And just in the past few days, more enormous meteors have been sighted and this goes on continuously, more and more every year. We live in a time of great change in a world that doesn't like to look at things as they are. UnknownCountry.com offers extraordinary information, a vast archive that you cannot find anywhere else. Subscribe today help keep this website going because without you there is and can be no us go to unknowncountry.com right now click on the subscribe tab get started we're talking to malcolm robinson scottish ufo investigator the Falkland Hill UFO incident, Scotland's most controversial UFO case. We're getting into it in a little bit. It's his latest book, and it is quite incredible. It's, this is one of the most incredible of all UFO incidents. But let's go back to that clearing 
the barking dog, yes. the unconscious man. What happened next? <laughs> well, um, he lost consciousness. When he regained consciousness, we don't know how long he was out for. He was lying on the forest floor. His clothes were all muddy. His trousers were ripped. And he staggered back to his pickup truck. He tried to radio his, his base, but he couldn't speak. He stumbled back to his house. His wife went, what's happened to you? And he said, I've been assaulted. You've, you've been assaulted by, by men? No, by a UFO thing. And she says, look, come in. But she knew her husband. She knew he would not make up a story like that. So they got the forestry foreman, the worker involved, is Bob's boss. And then they actually got the police involved. The police were there. The forensic department looked at his trousers. His trousers were all ripped. And they fenced off the area, and you could see all these triangular and circular impressions in the grass, track-like marks in the grass as well. And it's the only case in the British Isles that's been deemed uh, with it's a, it's a case where the police have been involved. And they, they considered it as an assault by person or persons unknown. And to this day, it still stands the test of time of one of Scotland's most bizarre UFO incidents. Now, does he did he ever attempt to recover any memory or anything like that? The where there was a hypnotherapist that was used on Mr. Taylor, and um, but it was a stage hypnotherapist, and all they got was back to that time when he saw this massive big object disappearing, solidifying, and then bang, blackness. He couldn't see. And incidentally, I do actually have the, the ripped trousers that he wore. That was oh my God, how fabulous. <laughs> how fascinating. Well, let's take a little closer look at those folks. Yeah, so those are there. Now the police forensic officer says, Malcolm, these trousers were ripped in a mechanical manner. They were not ripped by any forest debris or any sharp stones or anything like that. They clearly were ripped in a fashion. And it's nice to have these trousers, Whitley, because it's a piece of evidence. Skeptics might say, well... I, I wonder if it, it almost looks like someone is trying to get them off him. <laughs> Possibly. He noticed when these, when these two spheres dropped down and rolled across the grass, they extended these rod-like projections and pulled them at the hips and pulled them forcibly. And at that point, Whitley... He remembers a terrible burning smell, a burnt, like burning brake linings pervading the whole area, and he bang, he lost consciousness. And um, it's it's a it's a wonderful case, it really is. Oh yeah, it's a fabulous case. Uh, there are so many cases in Scotland, and uh, you know there there are cases all over the world. But I want to roll back to the moment you were touched by this. You were how old when you first? Um, well, probably, I was probably about nine or ten when I really got involved with it. Well, when I started to learn about it, but probably seriously from about 18 or 19 years of age, that's when I really got really embroiled in it, yes. But you were touched by it at some point in your life. You saw, what was it, an orb? Or... Yeah, it was, a, it was a, this, this, this um, orb-shaped object floating above a school playing field and a I couldn't believe it. We're also doing research at Loch Ness, and I saw a UFO at Loch Ness as well, would you believe? <laughs> Did you see Loch Nessie as well, and the UFO? Well, I've been down. I've been fortunate. I'm one of the few people in the world to have gone down in a submarine in Loch Ness. Oh, tell us about it. You, I did not know this. How fabulous. Yes, um, it, was a, it was about 15, 20 feet submarine, a mini submarine. And it was sponsored by Swatch Watches. And it was there to take uh, core samples of the lock floor. And on the front of the submarine had a toughened glass portal with several very, very strong halogen lights at the top. We went out and we uh, dove to about 500 feet or so. And if you can imagine, um, this is a lock floor. This is a submarine. As it traversed over the lock floor, the, the lock floor just fell away. And I said to the skipper of the submarine, can we go down there? He says, no, we've got to stick to the allotted course. Very, very claustrophobic in the submarine. It had dials, it had switches, there were condensation coming, running down the walls. 
we never saw Nessie, but the skipper of the submarine says, Malcolm, we have had very, very strange anomalous sonar returns, which even I, that's what he said, as a trained sonar operator, I can't understand. And that's the thing about Loch Ness. I do believe there's something there in excess of 15 foot. It's not a plesiosaur without a shadow of a doubt, because plesiosaurs, as we know, they couldn't extend their neck. But I've spoken to a, a, a priest at Loch Ness many years ago, a man of the cloth, and he said, Malcolm, I myself have seen this creature. The loch was like a sheet, sheet of glass, not a ripple. And then suddenly this long tapering neck with a small head thrust out from the bowels of Loch Ness and cascaded back into the, the, the loch as well. Now, this is a man of the cloth. Now, that's not to say, you know, men of the cloth and police officers don't lie, but we know that. But his conviction was, he says, look, I really did see this. And what we have to remember, back in 1987, we had Operation Deep Scan. That was a flotilla of boats with the most sophisticated sonar apparatus on these boats. They went up and down Loch Ness for several days, and they got some unbelievable sonar contacts on the sonar as well. So clearly there's something there, yeah. Yeah, clearly there's something there. And, you know, that business of anomalous uh, sonar readings makes me think of a lot of the anomalies that surround um, Bigfoot. Yes. Which is, is something other than a normal creature because it comes and goes in strange ways. And I'm wondering about, I mean, we could say that, you know, what is it something like they think that uh, only about 20% of the fauna from the era of dinosaurs has ever been discovered because fossils off, usually don't even happen. It's a rather rare event for something to fossilize. And so this could easily be from that era, certainly not a plesiosaur, but there could have been something else that we've never even identified. Well, but you, uh, go ahead. You, you made a good point. I mean, we're finding on planet Earth species of new species of frogs, of insects on a daily basis. The Sasquatch, right. Bigfoot, um, these are unbelievable, strange tales. There's no denying that there's something there. People are seeing them. And uh, so there are other things operating on planet Earth that um, science needs to, to recognize for sure. Yeah, there's something about these, some of these uh, sightings, like the anomalous sonar returns that he didn't understand. Uh, you know, if you read the Bigfoot literature or talk to people who are in it, as I have many times, very few of them will maintain that Bigfoot is, 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 entirely a natural phenomenon that we would understand if only we could find one. The reason we can't find one is that it's not entirely a natural phenomenon. And I think that's possibly true of Nessie as well. But researchers don't like to talk about that. That makes them nervous because they think, well, we're having enough trouble being believed in the first place if we start to say that this is some kind of, uh, some kind of, uh, anomalous thing, it's going to be even more difficult. So, yeah, yeah, go I would, ahead. I would, I, would, I would accept that because some people think it's some form of tulpa, like a thought form. The more people think about something, something suddenly materializes, like uh, the, the lamas, the Tibetan monks, etc., allegedly created these figures. There was a Canadian group called Sora who actually made this cavalier appear just by thinking of them. It took them several months to achieve that, admittedly. So we, we've got to think out the box. Maybe it's something strange. Maybe it's, it's, it's not necessarily a flesh and blood creature as such. It could be a whole range of things. But um, that's what makes this subject of ours so fascinating, because the, the mysteries are there to be solved. And if Nessie turns out to be a big, large fish, fine, absolutely, let's. Let's go. Let's find well, it's a, it's a really strange fish because it comes up out of the water like that every every so often. Gosh, I don't think it's. I think it's been ages since I had a full show on Nessie. Uh, maybe we'll do that someday in the future um, because it's a lot has been happening lately. But let's let's move on now. Uh, the Scotland is an area where there are de densely populated cities. 
and lots of very, very open country. And I, it, a study has never been done, but I believe that areas like that are particularly attractive to our visitors, at, like the area of upstate New York where I lived, where there was a lot of movement between the city and, and this area because people would come and go, and it gave them a lot of ob variety to look at. In other words, they could go down in that area, stay pretty much hidden and out of the, out of the, uh, uh, out of the mainstream. I mean, let's face it, the way they are, they're hardly likely to go down on Fifth Avenue and <laughs> abduct someone. But Hopkins tried for years to uh, prove the Linda Cortile case and couldn't quite do it, uh, although he felt he had, but but not not in the not in the classic way. So we have a situation where uh, we can't quite pin it down, but maybe one of the reasons Scotland is so active is that kind of flux. I mean, what do you think causes it to be so much more active, may, maybe than the south of England, which of course is full of crop circles uh, in Wiltshire, but if you go like down into Sussex, there are very few sightings. Yeah. Well, clearly Scotland is known as, in UFO speak, as a window area or a hotspot. It's a location where, it's, you know, there are quite a number of these hotspots across the world, Gulf Breeze and Pensacola, for instance. But Scotland, you're correct, has seen a high rise of UFO reports um, for many, many years now. Bonnie Bridge in central Scotland is a big, big hotspot. Maybe speak about that in a moment. Um, and... Um, there is areas of Scotland which is totally sparse, totally is just barren landscape and that. And I think maybe, I mean, obviously there must be a reason why these these beings, for want of a better word, are actually coming here. Now, I firmly believe we're dealing with the, these beings, but for sure. You know, we're talking about these three and a half to four feet uh, small childlike bodies, large pear-shaped heads, black inky, inky almond-shaped eyes, which, as you know, Whitley, these have been seen in Scotland as well. Uh, there's a famous case in the A70 when uh, two men were driving from Edinburgh down to a little village in Tarbrax. Now, getting back to your point, either side of this road is very, very barren. It's just fields, countryside. And as they're driving down the road, they encountered this black hovering object about 30 feet above the surface of the road. And again, like most people in close proximity sightings, they knew they knew that it was more than a helicopter or a or, or an aircraft of any description. So if you can imagine, this is a UFO. This is a car, and as the car was directly underneath this UFO, it emitted a silver shimmering mist that just hit the car. And as soon as that hit the car, quickly, both men were catapulted into total and inky blackness. They couldn't see their hands in front of their car. They couldn't see the dashboard of the car. They thought they were dead. Seconds later, they regained their sight. The car was on the other side of the road. They had to pull the car over. They drove to their destination and they knocked on the occupant's door. And the occupants went, what time do you call this? Do you know what time it is? They were an hour and a half late. So they proceeded to tell the occupants of the house what had happened. That night, and subsequent nights thereafter, they had strange dreams of these small grey creatures coming into their dream world. And then they found scars, scars on their body that previously were not there, scoop-like scars, etc. And they went, who do you go to? Do you go to the police? Who do you report these things to? Long story short, they went into a library in Edinburgh and they picked out a book by Jenny Randalls. And my address for my society was in that book. They contacted me. And at that time, I advocated the use of hypnosis as a tool, as a tool to perhaps lift the sluice gates of the mind and fingers crossed any possible external recall may come out of their minds. And he says, Malcolm, we'll be, we're happy to do that. Your wives don't believe us. Your workmates don't believe us. We're, we're getting ridiculed. We need to know what happened, Malcolm. So we subjected them 
independently to hypnotic regression and the typical abduction scenario unfolded. The conscious recall, Whitley, was ever, only ever, of seeing this disc-shaped object, shiny disc-shaped object above the car and this screaming light that came down. That was a conscious recall. Under hypnosis, they claim, and this is what they said, the car was stopped. They were approached by several of these small grey creatures. They were taken forcibly out of the car. Now, they weren't walked to this object. Incredibly, they were put on a like a stretcher, but nobody was holding it. It was suspended in the air, and these greys were standing next to it. Gary Wood, one of the abductees, then found himself completely naked, lying on this flat raised table in this silver room. And he says, Malcolm, I couldn't move a muscle. I could only move my eyes. I desperately wanted to hit out at these small creatures, but, but I couldn't do it. And they were moving around his bed, etc. Over this flat raised table. And suddenly he saw this black lens-shaped device. It was about three feet, three feet in width, just tumbling in the air above him. And then he, Colin, that's the other abductee, found himself in this perspex chamber, completely naked. It was, it was an unbelievable case. Well, we'll get back to it in just a moment, Free Dreamlanders. We're talking to... Malcolm Robinson, the author of over 40 books on the UFO subject, his latest one, which we are going to get to very soon, is the Falkland Hill UFO incident. And you will not forget this. This is an extraordinary case. But there are lots of extraordinary cases in this really extraordinary man's long career. So we'll be right back. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there? in the stars or is it also somewhere else is it in us in you unknown country join us today go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us join the questions join the search Join the adventure. UnknownCountry.com. There's no place like it in the world. We're talking to Malcolm Robinson. Malcolm is a UFO investigator par excellence. The Falkland Hill UFO incident is one of the most extraordinary of all UFO incidents we've ever known about in, the, in history, and we'll be getting to that shortly. But before we do that, Malcolm, I want to talk about agendas, because the story that you just told is not a story of sort of a halting contact. It is a story of an organized process. These people are taken... They are stripped naked, and something is done. Well, the question I have, and as an abductee myself, I've been wondering this for a long time because I was assaulted too. Yes. I had semen removed from my body forcibly but you, by the use of an a, a, a stimulation device that I struggled so much when it was in my body that I tore my rectum, and I became known as the rectal probe man and laughed at for nearly... 40, more than 40 years now for being raped because I spoke of it publicly and I've had that and I'd like to know about this agenda because uh, I think it's there and I think people like you who have talked to many many witnesses might have some real insight into this uh, what tell us a little bit more about your ideas about the agenda that is an agenda Absolutely, there is an agenda. Sadly, we can only speculate. I mean, people have been abducted, as you mentioned a moment ago. Sperm and ova has been taken from males and females. I've spoken to a female abductee. She says, Malcolm, I was re-abducted. And in the ship, I was told telepathically, and I was shown this hideous, half-human, 
have hybrid child. And telepathically, I was told, this belongs to you. Now, it can't be, it can't be that they're doing these experiments because they've been doing them for over 50, 60, 70 years. Surely they've got enough genetic material from mankind. Is it the souls? Is it they're trying to get our soul from, from hu humankind? We all know that these small greys may not be flesh and blood. They could be some engineered creature, for want of a better word. But it really frustrates me speaking to people who's been subjected to this horrendous process, taken from their rooms, taken from their cars. And it's, it's an unwanted process, you know. And they're terrified, absolutely terrified. I mean, in this A70 case, the, the witness Gary Wood says, Malcolm, when I was lying on this flat raised table and I couldn't move, I looked down, I couldn't look down to the floor of this craft and it was a naked female, a naked female sitting on the floor. She had her knees up under her chin and she had her arms locked around her knees. She had her back towards me and she gently turned around and looked at me. And she said, he said, Malcolm, she had tears running down her face. She looked so sad, so forlorn. And that's the thing, when Colin was in this structure, he says, Malcolm, I couldn't move either. And there were people to the left, people to the right, males, females, young, old. So it, it, there is an agenda. Absolutely, there's an agenda. But at my time of life, after over 40 odd years, if not more, I'm no closer to finding out that purpose. People have said maybe they are the gods. In other words, it was them that seeded mankind on this planet. So they're not effectively taking anything out of us. They're putting something into us. Who knows? Are they time travellers, etc.? Um, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I notice, and I'm sure my viewers have too, and listeners, I'll tell you, uh, that there is a model of the time machine from the movie The Time Machine on uh, on the, the bookcase behind you. Yes. Let's talk about time then. G give, us, give us an idea about your thoughts about what my wife felt might be true too. She was very strong on this idea that they might be from the future or even from the past or from some other different different meaning of time and here gathering genetic material because they certainly are doing that. Well, they're not denying that. They're certainly you know, collecting genetic material. The, the problem, as I said a moment ago, they've been doing it over 70 years now. Surely they've got enough. As far as time goes, time travel, um, I can only speculate again, but I'd like to give yourself and your lovely viewers my own thoughts. And that is, if there is such a thing as time travel, and there's a possibility that, that, it, that it is there. These people, when they come back in time or go forward in time, we'll talk about coming into our time, I believe that they can't be seen. They're there. But due to frequencies, etc., we can't see them and they can't interfere with what we are doing. And I think if time travel is possible, then the reason we don't see any activity and things like that is possibly because they are there, but they're, in, they're on a different spectrum, a different frequency. It's like I've said to people, the people say to me, well, Malcolm, <laughs> I've not seen a ghost and I've not seen a UFO. And sometimes my, I believe that the more psychic aware a person is, the more chance you may see something. You could have five people in a haunted room and only two will see a spirit. And the other, the other people will go, but I can't see anything. It's like a radio, an old radio. You tune in to get this, the frequencies. Jacques Vallée had a, a lot of good theories about frequencies and vibrations. And I do believe that we're dealing with these, these aliens that's coming into our frequency and changing and moving away again. And what we have to bear in mind is there's so many UFOs have been seen diving into the oceans of our world and coming out of the oceans of our world, USOs, for instance, more so around the, the island of Puerto Rico. So they're clear, they may well be bases, bases in the oceans of this planet. We know more about the surface of the moon than we do about uh, what's under our, our, our own um, oceans. 
we look at the, how deep the Mariana Trench is, for instance, there may well be bases down there. What I've learned over 45 years, Whitley, is not to poo-poo anything. We laughed at the, the Wright brothers. We laughed saying, that'll never fly at Kitty Hawk. It did. We laughed at Marconi. We laughed at Edison. We laughed at John Logie Baird with the television. That'll never work. It did. People shouldn't laugh and poke fun at things just because it sounds ridiculous. Ufology is a wonderful subject to be into. Not so wonderful if you've been abducted. I, 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 I take, take that. But clearly, we need more scientists to become involved with this. And sadly, we know that they probably won't become involved because their peers will say, oh, you're fucked. You're dealing yeah, with Yeah, it can ruin your career very quickly in the yeah, science. Yeah. I know scientists who are involved. Hal Pudoff is involved. Uh, Gary Nolan is involved. Kit Green. But they're not many. They're few. And Dr. Vallee is a scientist, and he's involved. And he's, he's just written a wonderful forward to my new book, Them, which is out uh, hopefully on March the 15th. And so uh, in any case, uh, th that's all. Those people are there, but they are isolated. In other yeah. words, uh, they're not. If you read the Wikipedia entry, ent entry on Hal Pudoff, it's shameful. A pack of lies. Yeah. And he, I asked him about it. He said, no, I don't bother to keep it up. Uh, I have my own life. And, and, um, you know, so he, I said, you know, every, every troll in, 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 in the scientific communities after you, and he just laughed. I don't blame him for laughing because he, he, he can laugh. I, he's at the center of the thing. I know him quite well. And, uh, he really is at the center of the secret world and working on this and the, in a very honest way. There's nothing wrong with what Hal does. In other words, he's not an evil secret keeper at all. He's simply a physicist who's deeply into this. Now, but I'd like to go back to um, to the hybridization issue that you talked about, because of course, that was a has been a dreadful part of my life. Uh, 11 years after we, after I had the semen removed, first of all, that same year, or no, two years later, my wife and I were shown a baby. And I don't remember anything about the baby at all. It just that it happened. We were shown the baby. We were leaving for a restaurant. We were shown the baby. And uh, we didn't remember. We had, It was in a missing time condition. But we were suddenly 15 minutes late. We'd walk down to the car and then apparently just sat there motionless for 15 minutes and and then here we were racing off to the restaurant because we had lost all that time and what did we do in the car we talked about babies and then we realized what had happened and it was very chilling fast forward 11 years and this boy shows up in the woods behind our house who is our cabin in upstate new york who is terribly disturbed and can read minds wow. and will get into your mind in the night and we lose the cabin finally we're so oppressed by the media that people stop buying my books we move to texas and the next thing i know he's hiding out beside the condo in a little cul-de-sac that we've moved to wow. he stayed with us i finally drove him off and years later, I thought to myself, my God, my God, that was my child. I don't know where he is now or what happened to him. But I will tell you this. I am not the only abductee and close encounter witness with a story like that, a heartrending story like that. So, you know, I applaud your work, but you guys have got to help us figure this out. Because how many people are involved? And it's not, as you said, it's not just genetic sampling. It can't be. Can't be. Because there's too many people involved. Speculate. What else could it be? Could they be seeding another planet with human beings? And if so, why are they all so monstrous and screwed up? Well, it's not just that. Um, we've got to consider the fact that these other so-called other creatures visiting planet Earth as well. Oh, oh, wait a minute, Malcolm. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I apologize to you, but not really to the free dreamlanders because we're taking another break. 
Uh, we'll be right back, and Malcolm is, I'm sure, going to have some extraordinary things to say. We'll be right back. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, communion, transformation, the secret school, breakthrough, majestic, and so much more powerful meditations. But more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. We're talking to Malcolm Robinson, his new book, The Falkland Hill UFO Incident, with, but with a 40-year career as a researcher. Uh, I'm picking his brain for a lot of other things as well. Suffice to say that the Falkland Hill incident is worth waiting for. It's extraordinary, and we will be going to it right after this story. Okay. Yeah, it's a very bizarre incident, the Falkland Hill incident. Um, it's probably one of Scotland's most bizarre cases for a whole range well, of reasons. Well, we were going to talk about hybrids first. Okay, yes, we can do Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about your theories about what may be going on, because you talked about an agenda and said you didn't know what it was, but then you said uh, that they're not just take sampling genetic material because too many people are involved, and that's quite right. So what else could it be? Well, we've obviously got to look at uh, these other creatures allegedly coming to, to planet Earth. I'm talking about the reptilians, et cetera. Now, incredibly, as this may sound, Whitley, um, my research and my colleagues in Scotland, we haven't come across any reptilian sightings in Scotland. There may be somebody watching this show that says that that's not true, but it's, I mean, over 40 years, it's always a grace. But getting back to the possibility of what is the agenda, what is, what's going on here, you're quite right, it can't be a genetic sampling. It, it, could it be to repopulate a dying planet? It sounds preposterous, you know. And they've got to be a cutoff point here. They've got to be a, a kind of draw the line in the sand where they have got to make themselves openly known. We know that when people have been abducted, um, they try and speak or they say telepathically, well, why are you here? They're getting back to the A70 case. Gary said, and he said to these greys, why are you here? What do you want? And the word they got back was sanctuary. Sanctuary. Now, we know what sanctuary means. That's a place of people can, you know, nice and easy, quietness, etc., love, etc. Why, why would they say that? That was a strange thing to say. Sanctuary, that's probably the most telling word I've ever heard about this. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about it off the top of my head and speculate here. But that's a big word. I'm going to think yeah. about that for a long time. Yeah. Because, you know, we had on the show recently uh, uh, two, two uh, 
and excuse me, folks, if I'm not pulling their names up right away. Uh, I do this every week. <laughs> so so um, uh, anyway, we had two guests who were talking about the possibility that the Greys were essentially brilliant machines that were in search of souls, that they didn't have souls. And they, they were conscious enough to know that when, when, they, when their lives ended, they would just disappear and that they were not they were not giving their lives to souls that would go on and they wanted souls and i thought that might be true but it's you know they never proved it uh the the guests and it was a very interesting show i have to say so the um uh but what if what if they have no home and they're looking for a place to be. And they found this place. And we're already here. And they're trying to make versions of themselves that are like us so they can fit in. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Or is it just like science fiction to you? It makes sense in the degree that we should always look at these things. As I said before, let's look out the box they may be trying to model themselves on part of, of this hybridization. Maybe it's part them, part us. And that's a possibility. Um, but, I mean, when you look back, these things have been there in Renaissance paintings and cave art, etc. We seem to be no further forward in, in analysing the, the, what they're truly here for. And that's a million-dollar question that I get asked, my colleagues get asked, what is this agenda? When we look at the press conference in 2001, you had all the generals, the military people, and I went, yes, at last. These are men from the American Air Force and, and the American military who have seen these things, have appeared over silos, switched off um, machinery, etc. Surely we're going to get an answer. And it was yesterday's news, sadly. You know, they, it never went any forward. And that's the thing, but when the Pentagon released these uh, images of these fast-moving objects, they called them gimbal, go fast, um, you know, these jets, it was taken off from the USS Theodore Roosevelt, and the Pentagon, as we know, came out and says, we don't know what these things are. Now, either they do, and it was just an exercise to find out how we would get on, or it's the Russians or the Koreans, or, which I believe, it's up there. I think the agenda is slowly manifesting itself in a, in a way that there, there are more and more sightings across this planet of ours. The abduction phenomena, phenomena seems to be on the increase as well. Should we be worried? Possibly, possibly, because let's well, I, think, I think we should certainly be worried. I think we should, I think we desperately need to understand this. Um, and by the way, the shibboleth that's being spread around by primarily, I think, the U U.S. Department of Defense and its ever faithful brother, GCHQ, <laughs> uh, uh, is that these might be Russian or Chinese or something of ours. What they prefer the public not know or remember is that the twining memorandum from September of 1947 clearly describes the flight characteristics of UFOs that are exactly like the characteristics of the gimbal and tic-tac objects yeah. in 1947. Therefore, they are not Russian, they are not Chinese, yeah, yeah. they are not ours. Those are intentional lies designed to cloud the situation, which gets me to my question for you. Why? Why cloud? Why are they working so hard to deceive the public about this, Malcolm? I mean, you must know this inside and out. Give us your ideas. Well, I'll give you what I believe is happening. I truly, truly, honestly believe that the governments of this world know more than they're letting on about the UFO phenomena. That, that's for sure. You just gave us a for instance there. I mean, when you look at under the Freedom of Information Act that was passed many years ago in America and now here in the United Kingdom, many pre-classified government documents were released to the public and they were still heavily blacked out 
paragraphs blacked out, and it can't be just addresses of the witnesses. I mean, there's something clearly going on. People have said, and even Gary Wooders says, that um, people have been abducted and they've seen military people in underground caverns, etc. And that's quite worrying as well, because if, if the American government or any government is in cahoots with these greys, and I do think to some degree they are, then we should be worrying. I mean, it leads on to the question of back engineering and et cetera, et cetera. But I think there is a, an element of uh, the governments of this world knowing more than they're letting on. Um, uh, and so therefore, when we look at an agenda, again, I'm only speculating, Whitley, when we're looking at an agenda, maybe they're trying to get all this technology from the greys, from whoever is behind us. And um, maybe there's an agreement with the American or any government that, yeah, you can take people at will if you want, and but we need your technology. I'm only speculating, of course. And we have a, so we have a situation where someone is here. They're doing this to us. They may be making versions of themselves that yeah. are essentially us, that look like us. But if the boy that was outside our cabin and then followed us to Texas is any example, there's one difference between them and us. That is that they can read minds because the boy could read your mind very easily. And not only could he read your mind, you could feel him in there. And it was not an easy experience. It was really creepy. And at least I could feel him in there and couldn't. And he would be, it, when he was, was in, uh, we were in Texas, he would stand outside the, our condo in a little dark cul-de-sac. We were on the ground floor. And it was absolutely, he was three feet from my head, four feet from my head. And I could feel him and hear him in my mind. That's why I drove him off, basically, because I couldn't live like that. Do you regret that, Whitley? Do you think he, if he appears in the future, would you embrace him with warm arms? You know, how, how would you feel if he came back into your Boy, life? Boy, have I thought and thought about that. I honestly don't know, Malcolm. I wish I could tell you, oh, yes, I've seen past it all, and now I would do it. But that's not true. This is something very different and very difficult. It's yeah. horribly difficult. All of it. Did you manage to get any photographs of, the ch of this, this chap? This no. No, uh, I didn't. And uh, when I would even think about taking a picture of him when we were at the cabin in upstate New York, where there were a couple of situations where I could have, he would immediately run off yeah. when I would think about it. Yeah. Um, and in Texas, there was never an opportunity. Uh, so, uh, but he was definitely real. Uh, definitely. What I didn't do at the time, and he smoked constantly and he would leave these, these piles of cigarette butts in the, in the in, in in the woods behind the house, and um, I should have taken some to get DNA samples. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the time in the in, in the mid 90s, that wasn't so easy to do as it is now, and you know it was a very expensive, difficult process, and I just didn't think of it. I was too desperate. I was going broke and losing my cabin. And the last thing I was thinking about was things like yeah. that. Maybe we're answering our own questions here. And what I mean by that, Whitley, is you're convinced, eventually you got convinced that this, this gentleman, this, this man, was your son through an abduction. I just and, feel it. I, don't, I, I wouldn't say I was convinced, but go yeah. ahead. And maybe that's what, what's going on here. Maybe they're trying to make molds, for want of a better word, of humankind. We, you know, they're wanting us to be like them or vice versa and maybe that's what's going on because like I say maybe. that woman who was abducted she was told hey this, this alien hybrid child is part you and it's part us is that the agenda and if it is where is it leading how far does this go um, are they looking to overtake this planet I mean do they, are they, they want to repopulate another planet it sounds fanciful it sounds Steven Spielberg it sounds Dreamworks Laboratory 
But we've got to think about these things. We've got to look out the box, you know. If we narrow it down, we come to this, I think. Uh, first, they have telepathy. We do not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These beings, these humanoid creatures, the hybrids, have telepathy. The second thing is the greys have no no barrier between the living and the dead. The, I don't think they even have the idea of the dead. The soul and the body are part of the same world to them. And I'm quite sure that's true of the hybrids as well. So the hybrids are versions of us who have two critical properties that we lack, but that the greys have. And so far, I mean, the kid boy was smoked all the time because he was he could not stop the thoughts of other people coming into his head in other words he lived in a cacophony of of, of random thought that he could never stop listening to yeah. and that was that that was his reality and that's why he smoked because if you you look in the literature about schizophrenia you'll find that schizophrenics who hear voices smoke because nicotine quiets the voices and that was what he was doing he was very, very disturbed, Malcolm. He, you couldn't get near him. I mean, you, we tried, and you, you could not get near him. Uh, oh, he was so bizarre, poor kid. Okay, now we've done that, and uh, we're going to, I'm unfortunately going to say goodbye in a couple of minutes to our free dreamlanders, but we're, I'm not going to be so evil as to say, and now we're going to talk about the Falcon Hill UFO incident, Goodbye, free dreamlanders. So let's give them a few extra minutes this time. And let's start. We'll, we'll talk about it for about 10 minutes, and then we'll, we'll leave the free side and go on. And free dreamlanders, don't forget to subscribe to the show so I don't have to go through this every week. I'd love to just have a long hour-and-a-half show with no commercials and none of that to worry about. So far, not happening. Okay. <laughs> the Falkland Hill incident. Can you set the scene? What what began this incident? Well, it happened in September 23rd, uh, 1996. And the principal witnesses were Mary Morrison. She was 33 years of age. Uh, her son, Peter, he was 10. Her friend, Jane, was 38. And her daughter, uh, Susan, he was 16. That's the main primary witnesses. What happened is as follows. On that evening, they were back at Jane's farmhouse. Now, again, we're talking a part of Scotland where it's just fields, little cottages here, farmhouse here. It's not a built-up area. Now, they had ran out of coffee, and they says, oh, let's go to the shop. There's a shop about a couple of miles away in a small town called Fruke. We love these Scottish named towns, Fruke. And so they jumped in the car. That was Mary Morrison, Jane and 10-year-old uh, Peter is in the car, and they drove along this, this, this road. And as they were driving, it was late at night, it was 8 o'clock, and it was dark. They claimed they were astonished, astonished to see this large black triangular craft, which is so common these days. It was about four or 500 yards in front of them. It was hovering part over a field, and parked over the, the, the road. They stopped the car, and they could not believe what they were looking at. And so Mary decided to flash the, the car headlights at this object. And as it did so, as they did so, this object emitted two columns of tubular lights. It spun round and spun round on the road. And then it, it retracted these lights into the body of this craft and just screamed away, and was gone in seconds. Needless to say, they were they were quite um, bamboozled by that and shook up by that. So they went to the shop, they got uh, the, the jar of coffee, and on the way back, the same or similar object came screaming in their direction, so much so and so close, that 10-year-old uh, Peter, who was in the back seat, started to cry. He was crying his eyes out. He thought it was going to crash into the car. It didn't. It just went over the car and was gone. So they went back to Jane's house and they told Jane's daughter, Susan, you'll never believe what we've just seen. What? One of those UFO things. Oh, 
don't be so silly. There are no such things as GFOs. She says, honestly, we saw this. So Susan eventually says, okay, then let's go out and have a look then. So they went back in the car and they drove along that road. They never saw anything. Then they saw strange lights, strange lights coming above a forest canopy. So they drove down this little back road and they were amazed. They were amazed. Red, blue and green lights coming up from the forest into the air. And in front of the forest was this terrific blue glow. This blue, beautiful blue glow pervaded there in the scene. And they're looking at this. Wow. Now, also in the sky, and it sounds ridiculous. This is why it's so controversial. It's all their testimony. They said above them, about a thousand feet above them, it was like stars. Stars, these twinkly things like twinkling, but they were not in the depths of space. They were about a thousand feet up above their heads. And also on a nearby hill called Falkland Hill, there was this large orange ball, which was moving at the top of the hill. And it was all sparkling and it was like you could hear it fizzing. It wasn't ball lightning. Now they took their gaze back to this blue light and it dissipated. And then suddenly they saw a scene which I have not come across in all my years in ufology. And what they claim they saw was not 10, it's not 20, it's not 30, it's not 100. The hundreds of these small grey creatures who are bending down, lifting boxes up and carrying cylinders or canisters. And they were taking them back into, into the woods where there was a large structured object sitting, nestling in the woods. And at either side of this strange spectacle, there was these taller greys, as if they were in charge, looking at this scene, as if they were a, on a building site and you had the, the gaffer, I don't know how you say it in America or Canada, a boss man, making sure everything's going all right. They looked in charge. And one of these large creatures put his, the back of his hands, stretched it down and put it on the grass. And there was also a, a probably about six or seven feet light, a ball of light, free floating above the grass as well. And they're mesmerized by this. They couldn't believe it. But that's when things started to get scary. Because what they saw, and again, what I'm about to tell you and your lovely viewers is something I've not come across. What they claim they saw was two or three of these creatures, these greys, were encased in these big bubbles. It's like a, if you can imagine a child's bubble, but only about six feet tall. And they were in this bubble and they were being blown across this farmer's field. Remember, it's, this is not city limits, not city centre, just fields. They were being blown across this farmer's field. And at this point, Susan, who was sceptical, and that's why she's in the car, screamed. She says, there's one standing outside the car, staring in staring in into the car. Needless to say, they put their foot on the gas and screamed away from that area. And as they did so, Whitley, there was a tremendous blue flash illuminated the whole of the area and they just screamed off and they were gone. Human beings are, in, are were inquisitive. So they were shaken. When they got back to their house, they were shaken up. But they wanted to know more. And they went out again. Of course. We're more, <laughs> you know, something psychologically, curiosity is more, more powerful than fear. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We are talking to, <coughs> excuse me, we've been talking to Malcolm Robinson about, at last, about the Falkland Hill UFO incident. And Malcolm, before we leave our free dreamlanders in the dust, which I hate to do every week, Tell us a little bit about why you're wearing a 14 Times t-shirt. Yeah, 14 Times is one of these magazines we get in the UK, and it goes all over the world. And it's Oh, yeah, we, I know it well. Yeah, of you course. Get it? Good stuff. And uh, obviously, it's uh, for those people getting into our subject for the first time, they can learn all about how bizarre these cases are of things that fall from the sky, of ghosts, of poltergeists, of Nessie, of UFOs. It's all compact into the 14 times. And it's a wonderful, wonderful vehicle to educate those young kids who's coming into this subject for the first time and let them see what truly is out there. 
Malcolm Robinson, his new book, The Falkland Hill UFO Incident, Scotland's Most Controversial UFO Case. We're just getting started, folks. Uh, we're going to go on deeper into this case, and you're going to find out some things that you did not think could happen, but they did. Free Dreamlanders, thank you so much for being with us on Dreamland. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander. <laughs>